Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. I had an epiphany this week that has been very useful for me and I think might be for you, so I would like to share that. As I mentioned, I've been doing this new exercise program. It's something where you really push really, really hard for a very short amount of time. So much so that supposedly uh, it takes a week to recuperate and you're not supposed to go to the gym in between even. One of the results of this is that my neck has been out almost constantly for four or five weeks. Whether it's from the straining, I'm trying to relax my jaw and my face and my neck as I'm doing these the big five. There's the pulling thing, there's the pushing thing, there's the leg press, I've, you know, whatever they are. There's five things that do the major muscle groups. I've been going to the chiropractor once a week, the day after exercise, and she fixes me right up. And last week, it popped out within an hour of leaving her office. So I've just been living in pain pretty much constantly and feeling a little grumpy. I have been trying to avoid that pain and fix it. I've been going to chiropractors. Usually, I teach my group and I go home and I have a glass of wine. Uh, I get on my computer and read things to not feel what's going on in my body. Uh, you know, I stretch, I do certain things, but I'm basically, I've been basically pursuing a life to try to avoid pain. 
and it has not worked. <laughs> it has been remarkably unsuccessful. Once again, we're talking about pain. We're not talking about suffering right now, right? It could be emotional pain. It could be physical pain. It could be, it could be a, a, a difficult emotion. Uh, I'm not saying I'm suffering all the time, but I'm obviously suffering enough, or maybe there's just some unco unconscious drive in me to not feel pain, or particularly this kind of pain. And when I call it pain, even that is slightly misleading because it's not so much the physical pain, but it's, it's there's bones rubbing on nerves at the largest nerve plexus in my body, which means that it's very difficult and not impossible to concentrate and relax. So when I sit down to meditate, there's just a constant string of thoughts. My mind doesn't calm down because of a neuro neurological impairment. It calms down a little bit, but it's just kind of thoughts and thoughts and thoughts, and I've, which irritates me. Because usually when I meditate, I meditate, something happens, I fix things, I feel better, right? So finally, on Friday, uh, you know, I've been in real, the pain has been, even has been getting worse. It's the, the physical pain itself has been like really grabbing in the back of my head. And it's like somebody's kind of back there just like squeezing in a really unpleasant way. And I said, I can't keep, I, something's got to change here. I've got to, I'm not dealing with this very well. And when I was thinking about my pain on Friday, I realized there was a, like a trying involved. There was still something where I was resisting and that, that I really had this epiphany that, that freedom doesn't mean freedom from pain. It means freedom from suffering and that pain will still be there. There will still be pain in your life. Re reminds me of the story that I've probably told before to this group, maybe not. But I was teaching a workshop up in the wilds of northern Ontario at a growth center that uh, a woman who worked at the Toronto hospice, uh, she and her husband had this place out in the woods. And uh, I really, he, her husband and I really hit it off. He was a philosophy professor at some university up there. And he was really, he was kind of like a scientific guy. And he was really into healing technology. They had an isolation tank and they had an inversion thing and, you know, they had all the equipment. And he said, I've got a friend who's developed a better e-meter. Would you like to try it? Does anybody not know what an e-meter is? Okay, so an e-meter is what they use in Scientology. Uh, where, well, it's not, not quite that bad. It's, it's a legitimate thing. It's, it could be misused, you know, just like a gun can be used for good and bad purposes, right? So an e-meter is, it measures galvanic skin response and maybe something else, I don't know. But basically, you hold on to these two metal tubes that are hooked up to a machine, and some person who's doing the clearing process, it's called, with you, starts asking you questions. They, they have a, like a menu, and they start asking you questions, and it's, there's this meter that they're looking at. And if they ask you a question and the meter jumps, then their, their branching tree says, okay, now you start going down that particular branch. And then they ask you those kind of questions, waiting for the, the meter to get some subconscious response from you.
and then it goes down that tree, okay? So this guy comes, a really nice guy, friend of my friend, and not him, but my friend says, let me do the, the questioning. So I hold on to these two things, and he starts asking me questions. And as, I mean, he wasn't using the Scientology branching tree menu thing, but he was just watching the meter, and if something moved, he'd explore that area of my psyche, right? And so I'm doing this, and within 15 minutes, I had these feelings in my body that I would usually get only after meditating for a week or two, where there was this really deep pain in the depth of my chest, as if somebody were slowly and really painfully turning a sword either in the front or the back of my chest. But it was a really good kind of pain. It was the best kind of pain. It's a pain of opening, the pain of the heart releasing. But it's like it's, it's, a, it's a physical pain, right? So I start feeling, this is great. This, feel, this is fantastic. I'm uh, really releasing a lot here. I, you know, two, two weeks of meditation in 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> sign me up for that. And as the guy kept asking questions, the pain got deeper and deeper. And I started getting excited and felt that if I could stick with the pain, I would get to the bottom of my core wound and I would be free of pain and I would be free forever and happily living after, right? The pain got deeper and I got more excited and the pain got deeper and I got more excited. And then I had this epiphany that I knew was true. And the epiphany was, the pain is never going to go away. It's part of being a human being. And I felt like, and I hope this doesn't sound presumptuous, I felt like I was being crucified. I felt like I was dying into my pain and that being a human being meant accepting that finite quality, that human quality, that down in the mess with everybody quality, having a body, having a personality, all that stuff. And that using spirituality, using meditation practice with the feeling that you're going to get away from all this is not only not going to work, it's a big mistake. Because it really subverts practice in a very direct way. Let me think. I was probably living in New Mexico. Now, this is like 30 years ago. I kind of forgot that lesson. Right? I got back on the track of, let's get enlightened so there's no more pain trying to find freedom for the pain to go away. And what I realized on Friday night was that my work is going into the pain and finding freedom rather than trying to grab freedom to make the pain go away. And so I just lay down on my bed and I started really... Actually, I didn't lay down first. I meditated for uh, uh, quite a long time and then I lay down. And both of these times, I was just trying to be with what it feels like to have these really unpleasant sensations in my body with no resistance. I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just, and if, I'm, I'm not even trying to create pain or find the pain. But if pain is what's predominating, that's where I'm, <coughs> I'm going to be with, okay? It's not like I'm saying, try to find your pain. I'm saying your pain will find you. And <laughs> instead of trying to say, excuse me a second, I'm going to go do some practices to make you go away. Instead say, oh, here you are. What is this about? Can I really open to 
what this feels like. You know, I've kind of been applying this and saying, oh, we do the, this thing where if suffering arises, we just let go of the narrative and what does it feel like in the body? And then we have compassion for it. But even in the way I think I've been describing it, there's some kind of implication that if we do the practice right, we'll make the pain go away. What I was experiencing was that the pain itself is the gateway to being open and joyful. Actually, fortunately, gratefully, the pain got a lot better, probably because I wasn't resisting it so much. And we've even had groups where we've talked about physical pain and pain meditation and Stephen Levine's. I'm not really saying anything new tonight. It, it's maybe a summary, but somehow it's felt to me like the way I was saying it and the way I was trying to apply it to my life was a little bit theoretical. You know, it's a great idea, and I could still use it, though, to get away from my pain. And then there came a pain that wouldn't go away. There came a pain that lasted and, and increased, and lasted and increased even more. And so it forced me to go more deeply into this very basic beginning part of the teaching. It's a little tricky because we obviously have started this process of practicing, of sitting down and getting quiet and looking at what's going on because we want to not suffer so much. And it's really important, once again, to distinguish how we often conflate and confuse suffering and pain. As Stephen Levine said, pain is mandatory, suffering is optional. There's going to be pain in our lives. And I think for most of us, there's a very often subtle unconscious process of trying to get away from pain. If, in fact, one just relaxes and settles down and feels what's going on there, there won't be suffering. And the pain will stay, the pain will go, we don't really know what's going to happen, but we're not, we're not in battle with our lives. We're, <coughs> we're not trying to get away from who we are or what's going on in our lives. An ongoing physical pain is a really obvious place to start if you have something in your body that's chronically painful. I'm not saying don't go to the chiropractor, don't do yoga, don't uh, take medicine to deal with what's going on. but when you're sitting there or standing there or walking there and what is predominating in the moment is pain, is it possible to surrender into that moment and admit with humility and even gratitude, this is what my life is right now? There, there's so much grasping, there's so much clinging to try to find pleasurable mind states. What I was talking about was a physical state, which is the most obvious way we can talk about this topic probably. But the same thing holds for mind states. When there's agitation, when there's restlessness, when there's sadness, when there's anxiety, when there's depression, 
when there's judgment. Those are painful mind states. And we think, well, I'm meditating. I'm a meditator, so I shouldn't be feeling these things or I should be good enough to make these things go away. Rather than using that immediate moment as the, the gateway, the entrance into openness and freedom. This whole conversation, or not much of a conversation so far since I've been doing all the talking, <laughs> this, this, whole, this whole monologue could also be couched in theistic terms, that whenever one is feeling separate from God, the pain of separation, to try to push that away and grab onto God, often is not going to work too well. That is God not, not, is God not also in those places where we're feeling separate? Are we saying, here's God and here's not God, and I've got to push that away and grab this? Even when I talk about subtle mind states uh, being painful, those mind states are also arising in the body. So if you're agitated, there's going to be pain in your body. It's not the same as uh, getting burnt or, or stubbing your toe or something, but there's, there's unpleasant sensations in the body when there's agitation or when there's grief or whatever. So that if you, let me start over, a potential practice would be to keep your attention in your body and be with what is predominating. Where is the attention drawn? Not trying to find pain, not saying, I'm going to find pain like a vacuum cleaner and sweep it all up so I can be better. But if pain is the, the thing that's arising, if that's what's catching your attention, then be with that. If, in fact, you can do that, then life becomes much simpler. It's not like we're trying to get away from things all the time. There are different paths. There are different paths in Buddhism. And what we're talking about, what I'm talking about tonight is the tantric path, it's also sort of Vipassana in a way, but it's the notion of being with something and using life as the stepping stone to openness, as, the, as like a tantric, there's the pain and just flip it into, this is the nature of things and I can be with this. There's another path that's a, pretty much a monastic path, and it's the path of very deep concentration. You go into these states of concentration called the jhanas, J-N-A-N-A, jhana. And you can go so deeply into a jhana that you don't feel anything else. You're pushing everything else away. For instance, you can go into concentration on loving kindness. You go into this feeling of love so much that you don't feel anything else. You're just absorbed in love. Does anybody not remember the distinction between mindfulness and concentration. Concentration is the ability to keep your mind on one thing and push everything else away, like the dictionary would describe. If you're concentrating, suppose you're concentrating on your breath. Concentrating on your breath, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. Maybe it's the air is going in out of the nostrils or rising and falling of the belly. And if, if anything else arises, if a distracting thought arises or you start hearing a sound, you push that away and go right back to the breath. That's concentration. Mindfulness is the ability to keep your mind in the present. So if you're being mindful of your breath, 
what it what you were basically saying is we're doing a mindfulness practice with breath at the center. So you're watching breathing in, breathing out, and then a car drives by playing loud music. And for 20 seconds, the main thing that's going on is hearing music rather than your breath. So you're aware of hearing. And when the, hear, when the sound dissipates, you come back to the breath. But what about if a thought arises? Do you just go, oh, there's a thought? Like you just notice the thought, tell the thought, as long as the thought is predominating, you're with what predominates. So there's, there's another practice called mindfulness without a central object, where you're just mindful of whatever's arising. You're not using the breath as a crutch to keep coming back to. Concentration temporarily suppresses suffering. It does not uproot the causes of suffering. That it's very difficult to be mindful if you don't have a certain amount of concentration, right? But concentration and mindfulness are two different things. And in fact, in longer retreats, often, like in a 10-day retreat with this guy, Goenka, they spent the first three days just on concentration and then started doing mindfulness practice. You try to develop what's called access concentration, where you have enough concentration that you can be sort of mindful a lot of the time. Right, you're sitting down, and there's going to be distraction, and but you keep you you notice it. Usually, not after half an hour, but after you know, and then you keep coming back. There is a there is a difference between thinking and and being lost in thought, and thinking and be aware being aware that you're thinking. So one could be thinking, 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 and you're just a, you're you're not really aware. You're you become the thought, you become the emotion, you become the sensation. There's no there's no spaciousness, no awareness of it. It's just it's just happening unconsciously. You're lost in the thought. It doesn't have to be just a thought, but that's one of the most common ways. Obviously, is it clear why we're saying we're, we're not avoiding this point? Why mindfulness uproots the causes of suffering? whereas concentration doesn't. So you're concentrating on your breath, you're pushing everything else away, and all your conditioned habits, they come up and you just push them away. Whereas if you're being mindful of your breath, and all of a sudden you're feeling needy and you just start thinking about, I, I want to be in a relationship, or uh, I need more money, or you know some kind of thing starts going and going and going, and you're aware of, what does this feel like now that I'm having these needy thoughts? Oh, it feels like this in my body. And you're aware of how suffering is arising in the, in the form of those thoughts, your relationship with those thoughts, right? Whereas the same thoughts could arise and you weren't aware of the suffering that was happening. When you're noticing it, you're aware of the thought and then you, you just gently, gradually, uh, I mean, gracefully come back to the object of concentration. Because I'm trying to free my mind. I'm trying not to have thoughts. Like I want to have the spaciousness, that sort of emptiness. Okay. Which is difficult because I have, you know, a bajillion thoughts. Okay. So it is possible to control your mind. And I hope this doesn't sound pejorative, but one Zen teacher said, if just, just having an empty mind create an enlightenment, there'd be a lot of enlightened chickens running around the, the, <laughs> barn, the, the barnyard, right? It's not just having an empty mind that, uh, 
creates freedom. As the mind gets emptier, we begin to see the nature of things. We begin to be aware that thoughts come and thoughts go, suffering comes and suffering goes. Life is always changing. What is it that's constant? What is aware here? What is really going on? Or what is God? Or who am I? Or, you know, things like that, which are really hard to do when the mind is really agitated. But one can use concentration to suppress the mind and one gets calmer, one gets a little happier. But if you want to get free, it does take uprooting the causes of suffering, which can happen through devotion. It can happen through mindfulness. It can happen through inquiry into who you are. Up at the yoga farm, they do hatha yoga and they do chanting. Mm -hmm. They do things like that. And you're like, you're concentrating on singing. And as you're singing God's name or saying Om Namah Shivaya or whatever you're doing, you're noticing that today I'm bored by this, or today this is fantastic, I feel so close to God, or my mind is thinking of what's going to be for lunch because that breakfast wasn't so great today, or you know, <laughs> the way it goes at an ashram. And at some times you feel really connected in your heart to God, and other times it's just an idea that's like dry. So that as, as we're aware of all this stuff, we're, we're slowly get, coming into relationship, a more intimate balanced relationship with the way our life is changing all the time, that we don't have to fight that. Even though our experiences are changing, even though sometimes we're close to God and not close to God, that there is this presence that's always there if we calm down enough, open up enough. It's difficult to make a blanket statement that here's the way to meditate. I think people in this room are meditating in as many different ways as there are people in the room, probably. I mean, this is not a Zen group or a Vipassana group or a devotional group. It's kind of just eclectic, whatever you're bringing in, and let's try to work with it. Learning to be with the pain, that the pain keeps coming back on all these forms, is it's kind of the epiphany I had, that even though my meditation was strong and I've been doing this for a long time, I was feeling that there's still this subtle thing of, trying to get away from pain, trying to get away from unpleasantness in some of its, its more subtle forms. Grasping, clinging at some notion of who I should be if I were free or spiritual or something. Can I be comfortable with the chaos of my life? Can I open to it? You know, I mean, by chaos, I don't mean what, that my life is in chaos, like things are super out of control, but there's chaos. I mean, it's like it's, it, we can't control it. We don't know what's going to happen next. There is a tricky thing. You sit down, you meditate, you go to a yoga farm, you pay some money, you go up there, you come to a uh, Monday night group, you drag your body over the bridge and sit here and we, we talk together. And there is some hope that in doing this, one will feel better, right? <laughs> Why else would we be doing it? And, but the irony is that we feel better by accepting the pain, by going into the pain, by living it. Pain can be ecstatic. I have been around people dying of cancer who had great physical pain. And when I asked them how they were, they said, I've never felt better in my life. One of the peak experiences of my life was 
a post-surgical hip replacement, the, the, the post-surgical drugs wore off and the new ones hadn't kicked in yet. So for like 30 minutes, there was like intense, intense pain. They just cut through the largest muscle in my body, right? My butt, my gluteus maximus muscle. And uh, my mind could not wander. There's just a hot, overwhelming pain. And that's my whole life was pain and it was fantastic. There was no wandering mind. There was no confusion. There was no wanting anything. I knew, it had a big advantage that I knew that when the morphine kicked in or whatever they were giving me then, it was going to be done. So it, there, was, there was not the sense, what if this were to go on forever? <laughs> so that was a big advantage. But it was like meditation on steroids. It was incredible. Does that make sense? You probably felt love like that at times. You meet somebody, you're so in love for a, a while <laughs> that for like hours at a time, there's just there's no distraction. You're just feeling love. And it's so great, right? Or sometimes it happens with God or with people like go to raves. They have that relationship with music, often chemically aided or something. But still, I mean, you go into that place for a little while. Can we, do, can we do that with life? Can we do that with the non-rave of going to work? <laughs> or maybe it's a rave. Who knows what kind of work you do? I don't know. <laughs> so it sounds pretty simple. It is pretty simple. Not so easy. To have the courage to just open up and say, here I am. I mean, that... that image of being crucified. It's like, I accept my life. I accept being a human being. I have this friend who's an osteopath, who's a cranial osteopath, and I have this neck injury, which is part of what I was talking about before. But anyway, I would see this guy, and he'd do things when I, my head and neck were hurting, and he'd fix it. He said, he said uh, I'm moving away but I'll come back occasionally. I'll come back like one long weekend a month or something. So I hurt my neck. I called, I called him up and said, "Could you? are you going to be here this weekend? He said, no, I'm not, but I could treat you over the telephone. And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> and then a few months went by and I hurt my neck again. And I called up and said, you come? He said, no, but I could treat you over the telephone. And I said, okay. And I was in enough pain. I, he said, okay, well, so at 10 o'clock, Tomorrow morning, just lie in your bed for half an hour, and I'll treat you. In fact, I'll call you up at 10, just to remind you. So he called at 10, he said, lie down. I lay down, and at 10.30, I got up, and I felt completely fine. He had put my neck back in place. And I asked him how he did this, and he said, well, he said, I don't even need to know what's wrong with you. I don't care. I just go into a place where I go into wholeness, and I picture you in wholeness, and I just do that for half an hour. And I thought, why am I paying you $100 for that? <laughs> <laughs> why don't I do that? Why don't <laughs> sure, you can pay me. <laughs> so about half of the time I can do that. If my neck is out, I just lie down. And it's just like there's nothing to fix. There's painful sensations in my body. Sometimes I'm drawn to that, but not in the sense I'm trying to fix them. 
soon as you begin to treat illness, you're already caught in duality. You're not in Christ consciousness. So that's hard when it's your problem, when it's your neck or your bank account or your family. Can that pain be a flavor of wholeness? Can that be the gateway to freedom in this moment of your life? Mm -hmm.